I, I think that we get bombarded with more messages than just about any generation that's come before us. Think about, think about the messages that you see uh, on TV, if any of you still watch TV. Whatever it is that you see on the screen, think about the messages you get there. Radio and phone and through text and through email. And how many of the messages that you see or hear or process, how many of those messages do you think are true? I mean, there are so many people and, and, and folks are paid to be marketers and advertisers that, that they're bringing a, a sort of an angle on the truth, but how many of these messages that are always being put in front of you, that are being worked in, even I have a, I have a free Bible study online software that I love to go to and it's a great site just to find all kinds of stuff, but they still have little ribbons on the bottom of the screen just running to try to sell me a pair of sneakers or try whatever it was that I searched for on Amazon last night, they're showing it to me in the morning. These messages come through all the time and the whole, the whole message is, you know, if you have this stuff, you'll be better off. We constantly, you and I, even if you're a bit of a Luddite and you're, and you're pushing away the technology, you and I are constantly in need of being on the alert. We have to constantly be listening and thinking and watching to sort out the truth from the lies because we hear so many messages Church, you have to do that in here too. When I speak to you, you had better be listening and thinking, am I right? I'm trying hard, but I make mistakes too. But it seems to me, what I'm wondering about and what I wonder if you'll think about with me, it seems that this constant sifting of messages, is that true or not? Is that right or not? Is that a lie or are they just trying to sell me something? It seems like that whole sifting of messages, it makes some of us sharper. I know that some of you in the room can see a scam coming from a mile away because you've just been around it so long, right? Any of you kids feel really smart when you see your parents or grandparents trying to sort through their email? Well, maybe I do need, and you're like, mom, that's a scam, right? Like some of you, because you're just practiced at it and because you like thinking about it and because you're just alert, some of you are really sharp. Your truth meter is sensitive and strong, sniffing out the faintest hint of a fib. But it seems to me that some of us, some of us are worn down in our ability to discern the truth from the lies. Some people have gotten just so sick of it all that they've become cynical and they don't believe anyone. Nothing, nobody's right, nothing's true. Some people are just discerning in some areas of life, right? We can, maybe we can smell a rat in our email, but we buy all the lines in the pamphlet that comes in our mailbox, right? That we, we're discerning in some spots, but not in others. A few people are fools and fall for every scam, every trick in the book. Why? Because some people just don't understand how things work. Some people just aren't paying attention. Some people are just worn down. But at heart, why is it, and I'm thinking now, especially of so many of the things that come up on my computer or on my phone, at heart, why do we click on those things? Why do we get ourselves in trouble? If you've ever, have you ever had to call someone, I didn't mean to buy that, I don't want that. Have you ever had to report somebody to the Better Business Bureau or some other thing on, uh, no, I didn't, uh, that, that wasn't right. Why do we go to these places? Because it looks like a good deal. Because so often we want what they're offering with the terms that they're offering. Here's an email that I got this week, this week. Here's how it started out. Dear sir or ma'am, so you know that's a good one, just from the first line. I ask for your pardon if my approach is offensive, as I never meant to invade your privacy through this means. And also, 
I believe this is the best and secure means I can pass my message across to you in clear terms because this was sent to my Hotmail account. Nothing says security like Hotmail. I have sent you this proposal before now. I do hope this will get you in good health. I came across your contact via scrupulous search conducted by an IT specialist whom I have employed for this reason, and you know they have my attention now. I am Johnson King, Mr. And I promote this communication in my capacity as the principal attorney of my law firm. Well, a deceased client, Henry, died in 2014 and left a sum little above $28 million in his account here in the Unity Bank PLC. Normally, banking procedure requires the bank to declare the account forfeitable and transfer the proceeds to the Registry of Unclaimed Property for government use after eight years from the time of his death. However, because your name is similar to this person's name. There is a scrupulous way that we can pass along to you $28 million if you will just send us your birth certificate, oldest child, and a drop of blood, right? <laughs> now, I looked at that, and right away I knew, I knew the same thing that you all know. This is fake. This is not real. But why do people keep sending these emails? Because sometimes it must work. Who is sending their information to King Johnson. I got this other one, and this is the one that really made me laugh. This really made me laugh. Hi, Jesse. They, this one at least got my name. My name is blank. I'm not going to share it with you right now. But the person who wrote this, they said, I am the VP of franchise development for Love and Honey Fried Chicken, an award-winning fast casual restaurant franchise. Now, this is where they really got my attention. They said, I was browsing your experience at Pennsylvania Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Surgeons, and I think you might be a good fit for franchise ownership in Pennsylvania. <laughs> now, I have never been to the Pennsylvania Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Surgeons. I don't know why a chicken guy is looking for a franchisee from the Pennsylvania Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Reviews section. But they went on, they said, specialty chicken, specialty chicken, right? This is the good stuff here. Specialty chicken is no longer just a fast casual menu item. It has become an industry in its own right, experience over 10% growth annually, expected to reach a value of 9.85 billion by 2030. Billion, you say? We offer franchisees best-in-class marketing and support from our headquarters and a business model that thrives in any economy. I'm actively reaching out to a select group of business leaders <laughs> in Pennsylvania, like yourself, to join us as one of our newest franchise owners. So now, I'm really excited because I am going to be picking up $28 million real soon, and um, I'm expecting to use it to buy a whole bunch of love and honey fried chicken franchises because, because here's the thing, 10% growth year over year on $28 million, that's pretty good. And there's gonna be a value of 9.85 billion and this business model thrives in any economy. So I want all those things. Now I didn't click on this, I just copied it, pasted it and wasted four of your minutes with it right now. Is my name gonna help me get an inheritance from King Johnson? No. Am I really ideal to own a chicken franchise? No. Melanie runs the checkbook in our house, and she will tell you that I am not qualified to run any business. <laughs> I am bombarded with lies, just like you are.
And there is a part of me that wants to believe them because I want $28 million. Because I like the idea of being recruited and maybe owning a chicken restaurant would be pretty cool. In James chapter four, I read it for you a little bit ago. But in James chapter four, there's this letter. It's written to a church. This is a few decades after Jesus lived and died on this earth, after Jesus rose to heaven. And James is writing to a church, but he doesn't assume that everyone in this church is a fully devoted Christian. James, in the first three chapters, establishes that there are some in this church who, though they say they are Christians, their heart is not really with God. Though they say they are Christians, they're not really living for the Lord. And so there's this whole letter to the church, and in James chapter 4, we find ourselves today, and I want to I study this a bit with you. In verse 1, it says, again, written to a church. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So you at church, what causes your fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The fights and quarrels among you come from the desires that battle within you. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This is basic humanity, right? Humans 101. We want something, so we use our power to go get it. I'd like that $28 million, so sure, I'll give you the stuff that I've got. Just give me the money. I like the idea of being the boss. So what, you've got a chicken franchise? Let's go. We've got these desires within us, and, and sometimes we just do foolish little things like sharing too much of our information with somebody online who's a hack. Sometimes, though, James says, we kill. Do you know people? Have you heard about it on the news? Have you read about it in the history books? People who wanted something, so they killed for it? Maybe it was something as small as a shiny piece of metal. Maybe it was something big as a mountain. We know that humanity wants things and kills for it. We know that we covet, but we can't get what we want, so we quarrel and fight. We know that happens in the world. James says, look, church, this is happening to too many of you as well. We have strong appetites, my friends, you and I. James goes on, James 4, the second part of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. And that sounds like a statement that's pretty nice because, well, maybe if I ask God, then I'll finally have it all. God, give me $28 million, please. But no, James goes on, James 4, 3, he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Oh, there's a part of me that says, if I had $28 million, I'd help all of you. I really would. By getting out of here and letting someone preach to you who might be able to do it well. I would help all of you and, and you know, I, I, I'd buy you all supper at Christmas. But really, what do I want $28 million for? Because there's some shiny things that I'd like to have. James is putting it right on the nose. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're just asking with wrong motives for yourself. And he's talking to people in the church. We know that he's talking to people in the church because he says in verse four, you adulterous people. The word, we're not gonna go into a deep Greek study of this word, but the adulterous word, this is the same kind of language that God used in the Old Testament when he spoke to Israel. 
God had a covenant with the nation of Israel. And in the Old Testament, God spoke to them. And every time that Israel, who was in a covenant, an agreement with God, every time Israel turned away and followed after other gods, God said, you are committing adultery with me. Over and over, there's the example of that word. Here, James is writing, and there would have been people in the church in that day that would have understood exactly what he was talking about. He says, you adulterous people, you people in the church, you should belong to God, but you are out with some other God, some other passion, some other appetite, something that is ruling you. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? In other words, what he is saying is, you, well, he says it better. Look, the second half of verse four. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The world is not the same as the earth. It's not the globe. It's not this round piece of rock that circles around the sun. The world, in this sense, is everyone who is not a follower of God. There are God's people, and there are the world. That's what James is talking about. What James says is, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't have your loyalty in both places. James says, you adulterous people, you should be with the Lord, but you're following the standards and the appetites. You're following after the desires that the world is following after. Don't do this. James goes on in verse five. He says, do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? A very, very difficult passage. Lots of people have argued over the years about exactly what it means. Here's what I think it means. James is saying, that the scripture tells us that God wants us. God wants our hearts. The spirit that's in us, God wants to have all of us. He doesn't want us out running around. He's like a husband or wife who has a desire, a jealousy, a healthy jealousy for their spouse and doesn't want to see their spouse out running around with someone else. James 4, 6. But God gives us more grace because God loves us. This is what we've been trying to establish the last couple of weeks. God created humanity to rule this earth. God loved us so much that even when Adam and Eve fell, he cared for them. He didn't just wipe them out and start over. He covered them up. And there were curses and there were challenges and there were consequences, but he loved Adam and Eve so much so that after 2,000 years of their race becoming worse and worse and worse, he sent his son Jesus Christ so that we could now be saved when we trust in him. God gives us more grace. This is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. What is a proud person? That's someone who is wrapped up in themselves. Wrapped up in themselves. I deserve this. I should have this. I want this. I'm going to take this. God gives us more grace though when we focus on him. He opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, quick commercial break, because that's what happens these days, isn't it? You just get into a program and you get excited, and then if you haven't paid for premium membership, you get the ad on the bottom. Here's a little ad for you. Steve mentioned on September 10th, we've got a tailgate party happening here. It's going to be a lot of fun. September 17th, it looks like we might have been able to reschedule our baptism for some of the people that were not able to be baptized this summer. Still working out a couple of details, but mark September 17th as a Sunday that you want to be here. And then on September 30th, that is a Saturday night. We're going to be having Tom Coverley come here, and, and he's going to be doing a program with us. Tom's parents are, are here in the back. Good to see you guys, but um, you'll see this pop up on our website this week. Tom is a world-renowned illusionist, talks about Jesus Christ, brings the gospel into his program 
programs, and everything that uh, everything that, that comes in for that program is going to to help to benefit some of their um, their anti-bullying work that they're doing. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. September 30th, Saturday night. Uh, it's just breaking news. Breaking news. And then finally, for those of you who really like to plan ahead, this year uh, we're not having a Christmas Eve Eve service because Christmas Eve Eve is a Saturday night. And so instead we're going to have a Christmas candlelight service. We'll just call it whatever we want because we're having it December 22nd. That's a Friday evening. There you go. There's your commercial break. There's your commercial break. I- I'm reminding of you, the, you of these little details because now I want to hit you really hard with this next verse of Scripture. We ended with God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now look at James 4, 7. Here is the solution. Here is the answer. Here is the command. James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's been this idea set up in the first couple of verses of James chapter 4 that you can't follow both God and the world. You can't follow God's ways and the ways of everything else that is not God. And now James gets very specific. He says, submit yourselves to God, but resist the devil. And the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the devil. Steve mentioned today as he read from 1 Peter that um, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion. There are a couple of dangers that we can get into when we start talking about devil stuff. We can start to get so fascinated that we become afraid of what's this devil going to do to me? And the reality is, is that Satan is a created being, right? He's just an angel that has fallen. And so while he has power, and while the scripture says that for now, for now, until Christ comes back, Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Satan has influence on this earth. It's why we're told to follow God and not the world, because the world is Satan's domain for now. But let me tell you that Satan does not have overt power over believers and that he can possess you or take you over or make you do things that you don't want to do. Satan does not have that power, nor does any angel, right? So when you hear of people being possessed, and I believe that people can be possessed, but that doesn't happen to Christians. A heart can only be devoted to God or to something else, and a heart that is devoted for God has no room for Satan in it. Believers, you don't have to be afraid that Satan's going to come and take you over. There is no such thing as Satan possessing people who follow Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no room for Satan there too. But here's the thing, church. The thing that we do have to watch out for is that the lies of Satan are real. The temptations are real. And what we see with so many people in our world and frankly, so many people in our church is that we buy the lie and it takes us right out at the knees. You may not be possessed by Satan, but you are certainly not following after God when you are buying the lies of evil. And this is why we are called to resist. Resist the devil. And and when Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about how we make our stand, he talks about all of the stuff that we are supposed to dress ourselves with. We don't fight against flesh and blood, so we don't have literal swords or helmets or belts or, or armor. But he says, have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and have the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the feet covered with the gospel of peace. All of these are spiritual weapons because Satan is a spiritual being 
and he works on us on the spiritual realm and he tries to get us to believe the lies because when we believe the lies, we are taken out. When I believe the lie that some guy is going to give me $28 million if I will just send him my information, what happens? My bank account goes away, right? My credibility goes away and 20 more people send me more of that kind of stuff and I'm in worse shape than I was before. Why? Because I bought the lie. Now, if I just hit delete, I'm fine. Nothing to worry about here. Just keep rolling. No, this is why we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil. But the lies are real. And sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's even more historical than just the stuff that that you might click or the stuff that pops up in your inbox. The battles are different for all of us because Satan's been watching people ever since the beginning. Do you remember in the garden, we talked about this last week, Satan talked through the serpent. He knew just how to get to Eve, working, working, working to get to her. And and it worked because Adam was right there too and Adam went right along with it. And Satan has been watching people. He's been watching us. Are any of you really good at reading people? Do any of you have that gift? Some of you do, right? And some of you have been trained in that, especially those of you who are in ministry and those of you who are in sales. You learn to read people. You, you know when to push and when to back off. Well, if you can learn that, and if I can learn a little bit of that, don't you think Satan, this powerful angelic being who's been around for thousands of years, don't you think he's figured out some of this stuff too? And so Satan works on us. He, he, can't, just, he can't just take us over and make us do what he wants. But how many of you have to fight this battle in your mind every day? For some of you, it's a battle with food, right? Some of us, and, and we might try to put it aside or justify it, but some of us are addicted to food and the things that we eat, and we know we shouldn't. And we've been told that we shouldn't, and our doctor has told us we aren't healthy because we, we have not pushed this away. But instead, what's the temptation? What happens inside of us? Well, one more. Let's pull into McDonald's again. And not to just get a snack, but, but like, I'm going to have four number threes and a number five. Hey, listen, this is what some of us deal with because that's socially acceptable here. This is easy for us to fall into. Some of it's food. Some of it's, it's sexual kind of stuff. Some of you, you don't want to and you feel filthy and you feel horrible, but you just get that feeling or that thought or that one little image popped across something that you were looking at and now you can't stop thinking about it and all you want to do is just get alone and click. Why do you do that? We know this is wrong, but people, why do people do these things? It's because we have these desires and and, and the voices in our heads, sometimes we just want to shut them all out, whether it's food or sex. Sometimes it's hatred. You see that person across the room and you say, I'm supposed to love them. Oh, they are, they are a child of God. They are my brother. They are my sister. And I'm called, but I cannot stand them. And then instead of just bringing that to God and saying, God, forgive me, help me to love them. And instead of putting on a face that is friendly and kind to that person, instead you stew on it and you stew on it. And you choose in your mind to buy the lie that it's okay to hate them because of that thing they did. Some of us, the, the battles that we fight are simply attitudes that, that we find acceptable or maybe they're secret enough that nobody's called us out on it yet. But some of us fall for the lies of hopelessness. What does Satan say? He says, see, it's no use. Things are never going to get, you tried and it didn't work. You prayed and God didn't come through. See, this isn't happening. That is an accusation from the devil. Do you understand that, people? 
And some of you have stood up and said, no, I know that God loves me. I know what the scripture says and I know what is true. Satan, get away from here. But others of us, others of us, for, for whatever reason, the way that we're built and the way that we think, we, we, we go with it. We go with it and say, yeah, that, that is true. I, I really prayed about that, but God didn't come through. Oh, that is, that is true. It's, it's been this way for a long time and I've been trying to make some changes, but nothing's changing. Yeah, there probably isn't any hope. And now do you see what has happened with just a couple of those ideas and those temptations that we have agreed with? We have surrendered our position now as God's children because instead of being in a place where we say, life is hard and this is just how it is and I'm gonna press through with God's strength, instead of standing on that truth, we go with the lie and we are taken out and we say, nothing's ever gonna change. It's always going to be this way. I'm always going to be this way. And what happens? Our, our life is gone. And Satan just moves on because you're not a threat anymore. Some of us deal with this with laziness. It's okay. You don't, no, you don't need to go. Do, just relax. Watch another movie. Play another game. And we say, well, no, I really should get to that. I, I really, I, that assignment's due or that job is due or I need to go get to work. But, but how many of you fight that battle? That's a spiritual battle, people. Some of you fight the battle of overwork. I know I need to get home. I know my husband or my wife or my kids, I need to be there for them. And, and this is, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's past time and I've, I've worked really hard this week, but if, oh, if I could get this one more done and I could finally, and, and, that, and, and what happens? How many of you get home on time? But instead, I'll take one more call, one more email, one more visit, one more, one more, one more. And it's Satan just sitting back and laughing, saying, well, I got him. No threat there. That guy's not leading his house. He's too exhausted to help out at church. <laughs> Nobody's going to follow him anyway because he's holed up at work. Satan says, I'll just move on, work on somebody else. Happens with discouragement. It happens with worry. These, these battles happen in our minds for things that we believe. How many of you ever struggle with, am I worthy of God's love? And, and I know I, I, I'm touching some deep places here, but this is, this is the kind of stuff, some of you had these things, these ideas and, and these temptations drilled into you at a young age. And that's wounding and that's trauma and you need, to, you need to find healing from that. But at the core of so many of these hurts is a simple agreement that we've made with a lie that is not true. Somewhere, somebody told us that we are worthless or useless. And we said, I guess I am. And it has haunted you for the rest of your life, hasn't it? Because you believe the lie. But what does scripture say? Scripture says, no, 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 no. No, submit yourselves to God. Be wrapped up in God's truth. What does the scripture say? It says that God knows every one of us. He knows the hairs on our heads. We are worthy of God's love because he sent his son Jesus so that whoever believes in him, it's not everybody but you, it's so that whoever believes in him can be, can be saved. And yet some of you still sit here and say, am I worthy of God's love? Yes, you are. And it may take a long time to unpack all of that stuff. I'm not suggesting that this is simple. But do you see how the battle works itself out, the battle in our mind, and, and, and we have to break those old agreements. I, I'm not going to get proud, but I know that I am a child of God. 
I'm not going to get conceited, but I know that God does love me. This is the truth we need to stand in. We have these questions. Do you ever say, do I really believe in God? That, that sounds so much like that serpent in the garden saying, do you really believe? And then we start to wonder, and then, and then we feel like we're far away from God, and we feel like we're far away from church, and Satan says, fine, just stay in bed on Sunday morning. You'll be just fine. I'll leave you right there. How many of you struggle with daydreams and fantasies? You dream about what you would do with $28 million. You think about how much better life could be if just. And when those ideas come into your head instead of blocking them, that's a waste of time. God, help me. I don't want to think about that right now. God, guide me on your truth. Instead of doing that and standing up, we just chew on it and chew on it and chew on it until we really feel like life is miserable. And then we look like life is miserable. And then our life becomes miserable because everybody else sees that we're miserable and they don't want to be around us. Some of us live in the past. Some of us are wrapped up in keeping up appearances. Some of us are hiding sins. And we keep saying, nobody's going to find out. It doesn't matter. I can keep this going forever. And it erodes our heart. And again, it just takes us out. Did Satan do that? No. We believed it. Do you remember in, in the garden when God came to Adam and Eve, he said, what have you done? Eve said, well, the serpent gave me this fruit, and so I ate it. And Adam said, well, my wife, who you put here, do you remember that? My wife, who you put here with me, she gave me this fruit, so I ate it. Adam and Eve blaming and blaming and blaming. We're not gonna do that with our stuff, church. Saying the devil made me do it is a cop-out, and it's not theologically true, and it's not actually true. It's just that there was a desire that came up from our flesh, or there was a temptation that popped into our mind and we went with it. And some of us have gone with it over and over and over and over. This is how our addictions start. This is how our fascinations start. Again, this is, this is not easy stuff to untangle, but do you see the importance of doing this battle of standing on God's truth? And, and letting God help us. Do you see what it says in James 4, 8? As we wrap up this passage for today. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, this is possible. We can be free of our sin. Jesus came to forgive us of all of that. We can be clean, sinners. And what else? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't be focused. It happened to me just this morning. I got here about nine o'clock and I saw a couple things and I noticed a couple things and a couple things came to my attention that I'm just gonna have to do later this week. That's how it is for you when you go to work, right? <laughs> I got here and I just thought, okay, I'm gonna need, I, I need to deal with that. I need to talk to that person. I think I need to check up on that. And so from 9.30 until about 10, 15, I was in a funk and thinking, okay, I'm preaching this morning and I'm so looking forward to singing this morning and I'm ready for this worship service, but oh God, it, it feels so far away. And I was worrying about these things because okay, I'm going to need to talk about that and I'm going to need to address that. And probably I can do that on Wednesday. Meanwhile, I'm getting ready for this service and this sermon that I'm preaching to you right now. And so here's what I did. I just had to take a time out and I went to my office and I sat down and I prayed. I said, God, all these things that I'm thinking about right now, they are important. These are real things that are happening in my life. But God, I can't do anything about them right now. And you've given me a higher priority right now. And God, besides, you haven't called me to worry about anything. And so God, I'm giving this to you. Would you please help me? 
God, I don't want to be consumed by this. I don't want to go into this worship service with a bad attitude or a sour face because that kills it all. I do not agree that this is all up to me. I do not agree that this is a problem that's going to ruin the whole thing. I do not agree that this is just a wasted morning now. No, God, I am standing on your truth that says that you have planned good things for us to accomplish together. I am standing, Lord, on your truth that prayers matter and that you hear for us. And Lord, I'm standing on your truth that even the heavens with Jesus Christ on his throne, Jesus is interceding for me even now and praying for me. And so, Lord, I'm going to lean on that and I'm going to stand on that truth, even though right now I feel worried and I feel concerned and I feel anxious. Small A, not a capital A. You know, I came in here and, and I still felt a little bit weird and I didn't feel dialed in and I didn't feel on until about the third song and it just broke. And how all of a sudden I was free and I can still remember all the things that I need to do this week. But I was free. The devil fled from me in that moment. He didn't take me over. He doesn't have power over me. He has, he has exactly what I give him. And if I give him my yes, then, then this would be going differently right now. And if I give him my yes, then my afternoon would be different. And if I give him my yes, I'll tell you, I'll be bitter all week. But instead, I submit myself to God. I'm trying to purify my heart. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be focused on God altogether. James 4.9 says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Don't just be about all of the things that you can feed yourselves with. No, come to God. Humble yourselves before him. And what does it say? What will God do when we humble ourselves before him? He will, read it, church. He will lift you up. He will lift you up. But you have to believe it. You have to believe it. You have to reject the appetites of the flesh and the temptations of the devil. You need to stand strong, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is our charge. This is our battle. And you are not called to do this alone. You do this with the power of God helping you. You do this with a fellowship of brothers and sisters who we are not a perfect fellowship and we are not a perfect church. We have stuff to work on just like the church that James wrote to. But if you're in this room right now, you've got brothers and sisters that you can talk to who can help you through your stuff. We've got counselors and therapists. If you need that, we can help you get through your stuff. You don't have to do this on your own, but you can do this. You can do this because God loves you that much. He sent Jesus Christ to save you. And now he sends the Holy Spirit to help you so you can stand up against the devil's schemes. Would you pray with me, church? God, help us to be people really and truly who are based on your truth. Lord, help us to see the lies coming at us, whether it's a goofy email or whether it's that temptation to go right back to that thing that we want to be done with. Lord, would you please help us to stand on your truth and to be able to say yes to you and no to everything else? Lord, for those in the room who struggle with addictions, Lord, would you please break those addictions and bring your victory? Lord, I don't care how you do it, and I can't predict how you might do it, but Lord, would you please help those of us who have gotten into those ruts who feel so stuck. Lord, help us to know your truth that you have come that we might be free indeed.
Lord, for those who are harboring some secret sin, for those who are just kind of living a double life, who are double-minded, Lord, would you break us of that? Would you bring conviction to us? Would you bring repentance to us so we would turn away from that filth and turn to you? Lord, help us. And Lord, for those right now who are sitting in the room who can't put their finger on it, they know there's something for them, but they don't know what it is yet. Lord, would you please bring your clarity? Speak to our hearts and our minds so that we can see how you're calling us to live and so that we can do it. And help us to lean on each other in the whole congregation, in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes, and in the conversations that we have right now. Lord, help us to lean on each other so that we can be free of these things that are so hard. Lord, Lord, we don't want to be people of the lie anymore. We, we don't want to give ourselves away anymore. But Lord, we need your help. Oh, Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. Holy Spirit, please come now in power and set us free. Amen.